0: Good morning, everybody. Feeling excited for Christmas? Isn't it great? It's here, it's almost here. Let me share a little family news for some of you who are newer here. This is going to be news to you. For some of us, this is something to celebrate. This is the one year anniversary of our last Sunday in the theater. I <laughs> know, right? So if you were here this Sunday last year, do you remember loading everything in your cars? to bring here. Some of you need to check your garage because I think we're still missing some stuff. It's still in your trunk. (laughs) I'm so thankful for what God has done in this church. I'm so looking forward to Christmas. I hope you're inviting some people. One thing I've just found over and over through this year is I've met some of you for the first time. The connection is growing because God's doing great things here. And he's been working in my family through this church for a long time. I'm thankful to hear that he's working in your lives, and we would love for you to help just to get to know each other. There's a couple of things I want to tell you about before I get into the message. One of those things, if you've been here for a while and you're ready to commit to Christ, to connection, to both, uh, we have something called Next Steps Belong, and it's a, just a forum right after church. We'll be in this room right over here, and we'll just talk through, like, what do we believe here at Connection? And maybe for you, the question is, how do I become a Christian? Or maybe for you, it's, how do I get plugged in here and join? So if that's something you're interested in, I would invite you to come. It's about 30, 45 minutes. It's based on your questions, and uh, that's a way for you to get connected and plugged in. And something else I want to tell you about, you probably already know we've been updating our photo directory, and we want all of you in there. Many times there will be people who say, I don't know who that person is, and it's embarrassing. I ought to know their name by now, and they're thinking the same thing about you. <laughs> okay. So we want to get your picture. We haven't taken your picture yet. Today's the day. Right out here in the commons, we're set up to take your picture. You say, well, I don't, look, I don't, know how, I don't like how I look in a picture. You look great in a picture, because then we can go, oh, that's Kirsten. Oh, that's my wife. I forgot. Yeah. So... <laughs> Get your picture taken today if you haven't. We want to get you in the directory so that we can get to know each other. Well, if you've got one of these um, worship folders, when you came in, you can take some notes in there. One of the things that I've noticed, and you probably noticed this too, in these days, anytime there is a natural disaster or if there is a, a man-made catastrophe, like some of these horrible shootings and so forth that's been going on, there's a common phrase that we hear all the time. You've probably said it. You've heard it. Thoughts um, Thoughts and prayers. You know, thoughts and prayers to the victims, thoughts and prayers to the survivors. It's, sometimes it's just a personal loss. I'm sorry for your loss. My condolences, thoughts and prayers. At the same time, maybe you've noticed this too. There's some pushback and there's some cynicism against that. A lot of people are going, thoughts and prayers, it's useless. For example, in the wake of the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting back in October, Ben Orbach wrote an op-ed piece for CNN. And he said, don't give me your thoughts and prayers. Tell me you're going to vote. And what he was saying is, can't we do something real? You know, can't we actually do something? Thoughts and prayers aren't really cutting it, in his opinion. And he's reflecting what a lot of people think. I actually discovered there are a lot of memes that make fun of thoughts and prayers. I've got a few up here, like the guy sitting at his computer and goes, sending thoughts and prayers. There, all better. There's another one back when Texas got hit by the hurricane, sending a truckload of thoughts and prayers to the victims in Texas. They just arrived. And and this one, the guy said, I named my cats Thoughts and Prayers because they're both useless. Yeah? Cats are. Sorry, but they are. I love (laughs) cats, but what do they do? So I get it, though, and maybe you get it, too. When there is real suffering, it just feels like the easiest thing that somebody can do to get off the hook is just go... Thinking of you, thoughts and prayers, thumbs up on your Facebook post about whatever it was, and some people call that slacktivism, the very least you can do and feel like you did something. And I will say, I get it, but at the same time, if you told me you were thinking about me when I was going through a difficult time, that would actually be meaningful to me. Even thoughts aside, I don't know how effective they are, I don't know if they send positive vibes into the universe, but I can tell you that I would put prayer in a whole different category than thoughts. I'm not sure that they should be lumped together, because here's what I've come to believe, and maybe you've come to believe the same thing, and maybe you've experienced this, and you can say, I can tell a story or two about this. When you pray, it's not so much the action of praying, it's who you're talking to when you're praying. It's that you are inviting the God of the universe, the one who created everything, to personally get involved in your situation. For me, that's a game-changer. For some of you, you've prayed about things and you've seen things happen that you can't explain any other way than God did something. Max Lucado wrote a book and he says this, if prayer depends on how I pray, I'm sunk. Maybe you would agree with that. But he goes on, if the power of prayer depends on the one who hears the prayer, then I have hope. So in this series, Amen, we've been looking and listening to Jesus teach us how to pray and what happens when we pray if you got a Bible, I would invite you to go to Luke. We're going to go back again to listen to Jesus teach us about prayer. And uh, it's very effective when you say, you know what, I'm going to do more than just think about somebody. I'm going to pray for them. And Jesus explains why. Let's go ahead. And if you do have a Bible, I need to hear this. Or I guess I won't hear, but if you got a smartphone, you can get the Bible app on your smartphone and look up Luke. I would love it if you would come in here every week with a at least the smartphone app with the Bible on it, definitely one of these, if not that, because you need to see it for yourself. You need to get your brain engaged with what we're doing. And then, you know, like on Monday, you'll know where your Bible is because you had it on Sunday. So uh, we're going to go to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Luke is one of the four Gospels that describes the life and ministry and teaching of Jesus. If you're newer to the Bible, when you find the book of Luke, you look for the big 11, and then the first verse is where we're going to start. So uh, let's just go ahead and read this. This will be on the screen also. It says, Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said, Okay, this is how you should pray. And he gave us a model for how to pray Father, may your name be kept holy. May may your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. And that's it. Jesus said, How do you pray? This is how you pray. These are the things you pray about. And I love it that it starts with a question from one of his students. Like, uh, Jesus, you pray all the time, which apparently even God needs to pray because Jesus is God in a human body, and he felt like talking to his heavenly Father was something that he needed to do. The disciples thought that he did a really good job at that praying thing, and they wanted to know how to do it. And Jesus says, apparently, you guys do need some lessons on prayer, so let me teach you. And he's not going to embarrass you or shame you because you don't pray very well. He's just going to teach you. And you can write this down if you've not already got this. Prayer is very simply, as Jesus describes it, a conversation between you and God about things that you both care about. You just start the conversation, and you pray about normal things. And in prayer, you talk, and God listens. And then God talks, and you listen to him. It's just that conversation. And As we look through this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, Jesus then says, here's how you first of all need to think about who you're talking to. You're talking to father. You're talking to your dad. Just think about any good dad with his kids, and that's the kind of relationship God wants with you. You pray to your father. And when you're talking to him, he said, hallowed be his name. He's holy. He's good. You can depend on him. And he's a king. We want his kingdom to come. We want God to control things on earth like he does in heaven because things work in heaven. Things are nice in heaven. And that's what we say. We'd love to have heaven on earth. Well, if God's way is obeyed, then it will happen. And then Jesus goes on, and he says, like, you just need to talk about what you need. You need protection? Ask God for it. Protect us from temptation. Do you need stuff? Like, pray for your meal. Pray for things that you need, food. Um, pray for forgiveness. And then we go on, because we're going to keep in Luke chapter 11. Jesus goes on, and he tells a story to illustrate what happens when you lift up a prayer. And It's powerful. So let's go ahead and look at this. This is verse 5. We're going to go on down through verse 8. Jesus said, Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. So you say to him, A friend of mine just arrived for a visit. I've got nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, If you won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Let's stop there for a second. Did you know Jesus told that story? It's a great story. It's, It's like he starts out with this. He says, can you imagine a friend showing up to your house at midnight asking for three loaves of bread? Like, for us, I'm like, no, Jesus, I actually can't. That has never happened to me before. You You just have people showing up at your house asking for bread. Seems kind of random. Everybody who was listening to Jesus that day went, oh, yeah, I can totally imagine that. That happens all the time because it was a different world. Uh, So for them, just think about the world 2,000 years ago. First of all, in the story, Jesus intends for us to realize that we are the person who is doing the knocking on the door. We're the ones who show up at our neighbor's house at midnight And the situation he describes is completely normal in a world where you don't have Facebook and you don't have cell phones and you, when you're traveling 2,000 years ago, you don't even know what day you're going to get to your your family's house, much less what time. So somebody's showing up at your house at midnight, like, hey, we're here for Thanksgiving, but it's midnight. Well, that's just normal because they can't call ahead and tell you they're coming. And so you don't even know that they're going to get there. You know, like, they're going to be here sometime this week. But they're here, and you don't have any food in the house. You don't have a refrigerator 2,000 years ago. There's no 24-hour schnooks to go grab some sandwich stuff. This is a completely normal story for 2,000 years ago. Everybody's going, I get it. And nobody's going, you should have called first. This is, nobody's saying, this is what hotels are for. That doesn't exist either. Hospitality was your responsibility. Hospitality was a community responsibility. And there were rules and etiquette around this that everybody just understood. It was just a given. Everybody knew, like, if you don't host the people who showed up at your house at midnight, you're the rude one, not the one who's showing up knocking on your door at midnight. It's just etiquette. I still remember this. This was 26 years ago. The weekend we got married, we're up in Indiana in my wife's parents' church, and it was Saturday morning. I had stayed at a family in the church at their house. They were an older couple, totally different generation. I think they were in their 80s at that time, and this was 25 years ago, 26 years ago. Um, they hosted me. They were such gracious hosts. I loved them to death. The Landis's were just amazing people. But they were old school. like what, They were born at the beginning of the 20th century old school, and they had a whole different set of etiquette and, and routines that went along with hosting me for the, that night, and it was great. Because the next morning, Mrs. Landis is up early making me breakfast. And any other day, this breakfast would have been amazing. It was my favorite, not only breakfast, but almost my favorite meal. She's out there making fried eggs over easy, lots of bacon, biscuits. But just imagine, maybe you can remember if, if you are married, do you remember how nervous you were the day you got married? I'm like, I don't know. Any other day, I would have enjoyed this meal, but I'm just queasy at the grease and everything else. And I sit down, and she's like, oh, here's your breakfast. It's the table is full. It's like Cracker Barrel right there. And she's such a gracious host, and Mr. Landis was amazing. He's having a conversation with me. I'm just trying not to throw up. <laughs> and uh, then all of a sudden, this look came across her face, and she said, where are my manners? She got up from the table, went over to the stove, and got a bowl and came back and said, Brian, here are your prunes. Oh, <laughs> Oh, goody. (laughs) Because apparently, part of the etiquette of serving your guests is prunes. That's just the way it was. And 2,000 years ago, there was an etiquette around when people come to your house, you feed them when they walk in the door. You welcome them. And so it would have been very embarrassing to you and I if somebody showed up at our house and we couldn't feed them. So you go, I've got a problem. What am I going to do? And people back then didn't even think of it. It was kind of like holding the door for someone else or washing your hands. You just immediately go, my neighbors will help. Because the rule is, I offer hospitality, but it's also my whole community's responsibility to offer hospitality to my guests. So it's your neighbor's job to make sure they eat just as much as it is yours, even though they showed up at your house. So of course, I'm going to go to my neighbor's house at midnight and knock on the door. He's being rude because he refused to get out of bed and help me. And the thing is, I know that he can help me because earlier that night, my whole family had to smell the, smell of the delicious aroma of breaking, baking bread. They've been baking bread all day, and you've smelled it, and now they're here, I need to feed them. My neighbor's got bread. I'm, of course, going to go ask him. Now, we're the ones in the story who have the problem. We're going to the neighbor for help. Who is the neighbor in the story? It's going to feel weird, but who is the neighbor who won't get out of bed? God, maybe. That's what we were supposed to start thinking about, but this story does have a twist that you may or may not recognize. So, You're there, I'm just going to pause here for a second because I want to make sure we're up to speed on how this relates to prayer, and this does apply. One reason that we may not be receiving things from God in prayer is that we're not going over and knocking on the door in the first place. We're not asking, and then Jesus would say, well, maybe you're asking, but you get done with that prayer, and I have no idea what you asked for because, like, you thought it sounded really spiritual and you strung a bunch of words together, but you didn't really ever ask me for anything, and so Pastor David Jeremiah explains it this way, and I, I love this. He says, "If what if we talked in real life like we sometimes talk in prayer? And I've heard people pray like this, and I'm not criticizing anybody, but like he said, he, he used it this way. Would you ever pray, talk to somebody like this? Like if it was a babysitter who came to your house and said, and you're like telling them the instructions for how to take care of your kids. Oh, Heather, be thou with my children in a special way. No, like, but people pray that. Like, God be with them in a special way. And God's like, well, what do you want? What are you asking for here? You know, be specific. Like, when when our girls were young enough that we needed a babysitter to come over, we'd be like, okay, they don't get Mountain Dew. They're gonna tell you they can have Mountain Dew, but no. Do not do that. You do not want them to have Mountain Dew at 8 o'clock at night. Don't let them watch this on Netflix. They're going to tell you that it's okay to watch that, but it won't be because you don't want them to watch it. They'll be in your lap the whole night, scared to death. So, you know, you're very specific. Here's our cell number, text us if there's a problem. Here's what you do, you know. And then in the same way, prayer should be very specific. You just ask God exactly what you need. Do you need 50 bucks? Say, God, I, really, I need this for this, Ask him exactly what you need. Like, tomorrow I've got this test and I've studied, but I still don't get it. Ask him for help. I don't think we're specific enough. Well, let's go on to what Jesus is talking about, because this is, this is where the story gets strange, and it would have been more strange for the people who first heard Jesus tell the story than it is for us, because we're like, I'm going to be the guy in the bed saying go away at midnight if you're knocking on my door, just, but that's not how things work then. So the people listening to Jesus' story are going like, that guy's rude. He won't get up to help his neighbor? What's wrong? And Jesus then says, if he won't even get up because it's the right thing to do, he will get up just because you keep knocking on the door, like you pester him. Now, to this is where the story gets strange for us. Is Jesus trying to tell us that if God says no one time, that if you just keep asking, you can wear God down? Is God like sitting there going, fine, will you just shut up and quit praying about this if I give it to you? This is a story where Jesus is trying to teach through exaggeration and by contrast. And here's what he's saying. Here's the point. You can be confident that one way or another, your grouchy neighbor will help you, whether it's because he should or because you annoy him. How much more can you expect your good, perfect, heavenly father to come through for you when you ask him? If a grouchy neighbor who doesn't even want to help you will help you, How much more will a God who loves you help you when you ask for something in prayer? What Jesus is saying is, you know how this works. You know that one of the most powerful things in the universe is somebody asking you. That's why you don't make eye contact with the people who are asking for money outside the ballpark. Because when somebody asks, it creates a pull in you, does it not? God made us that way because that's how he is. Dallas Willard says, you know, giving is not the same thing as imposing And sometimes God will give us things that we didn't ask for, but he's a gentleman. He's not going to force his way into your world. Sometimes you have not because you ask not. So here's it is. Just write this down. You should be persistently praying for what you need. Persistently asking, not because you're going to wear God down, not because you're going to hit the magic number that only he knows. It's because he really does want to help you. And maybe the only thing that stands between God helping you and, and not is you actually saying, I need help. And asking him for that. And here's where I think we do lose it. We're not persistent. So Jesus goes on. He just wants to underline it and underscore it. Verse 9. So I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking on that door and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who seek, asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. We can expect God to take action when his children ask him to do something. Great story about this. Craig Larson was in a church, I think it's up near Chicago, and there's a lady in his church and his small group who shared a testimony of what God did in her life. She's a web architect, which I don't really know what that means, but some of you do. And she was hired by a bank to take on a project to make their bank website disability accessible. And she was given what her friends and her colleagues and her team told her. They gave you an impossible task. You're going to fail. Like, you can't get this done in a year, what they say you should be able to get done in six months. And she's like, I know that some of them were even just, I don't think you're smart enough to do this. And she goes, I know. But she was a Christian, so she said, I've got to do this. I really want this to succeed, and I need a job. So she started praying about it. Now, some of you are at this point going, I should pray about work projects? Is that, like, acceptable? Yes, You're you're hearing me correctly. You should be praying about anything in your life that you don't know what to do about. So she prayed, will you help me, God, to figure out this coding and help my team find success? So every day, she would come up against a, a challenge that she had no idea what to do, and she would pray about it, and she'd think. And she said as the project went along, she found insights, and her team would figure things out. And she said it was almost like God was just revealing things as I needed it, and he was giving me wisdom that I never would have had on my own. And there were just these solutions that were just brilliant, i like, this is great. And she just kept praying and being thankful to God. They approached their deadline and they met their deadline when they rolled it out and did the testing. I don't know if this is good or not, but they only had one little glitch that was easily fixed. Is that good? You web people, okay. And so she is now standing in her church on Wednesday night at her small group or at her church giving glory to God because she prayed about this and God helped her with it. I'm telling you, why are you not praying about the things that you're worried about? You have a father who loves you Who knows what you need even before you ask it? So, why aren't you asking it? I think sometimes we think things aren't spiritual enough to talk about. And I think sometimes we think it's just not really worth bothering God about. Jesus says it is. The smallest things, what you're going to eat today, is worth talking to God about. You're not overcoming God's reluctance when you pray, you're accessing and you're laying hold of His highest willingness. So, you should be praying. So you might be going, okay. Look, I'm there. I'm convinced. You got me. Well, what should you be praying for? Let me just give you a few categories. If you want to take notes, there's some places in your bulletin you can do that. Obviously, you should be praying for what you need. It's a no-brainer. Ask God for food. I mean, if this is a hard year, ask God for help with that. If this is a time where you need some forgiveness because you've just really blown it, as Ginger talked about last week, you've trespassed. You've gone across the fence. You've gone past the purple blaze on the tree. You're in the place you don't belong. Ask God about that. Ask him for protection from temptation. God, don't let me hand, have something I can't handle on my own. Uh, if you're thinking about it, if you're worried about it, if you don't know what to do about it, you should be praying about it. Tell you, I've told you about this guy before, Brandon Staten. One of the best storytellers out there right now. He's got a blog called Humans of New York. He just goes around New York Uh, Gets people to talk to him. He takes their picture. He tells a little bit of their story. He went to Africa this summer, told stories from different countries like Rwanda, Nigeria. This is a woman named Blessing, and she's in Nigeria. She's a Christian woman. She prays. Listen to her story. Brandon told it. My husband's a mechanic, but his business is slow. It's not enough. I'm selling this, the stuff in her basket, so that my children can go to school. I want them to be above me. I want them to be great in this country. And when I see them happy, I feel happy. Every time I pay their school fees, they tell me, Mommy, you're the best mommy. So I'm out here all day in the sun, and then I go home, and I cook, and I bathe, I put them to bed, I go to sleep. Now, this is where things turn for her. She said, I've been sick with malaria this past week, and I haven't been able to work. My husband wants me to rest, but the kids are crying from hunger, and the stress is too much for him alone. And when I was lying in bed, I just kept praying, God, help me go sell. But every time I went outside, my fever was too much, I had to go back in. Today, in this picture, is my first day back at work. I woke up with no headache, but it's so bad right now. There's pain all over my body. I'm just hoping to sell enough to buy tomorrow's supply. So Brandon heard her story. He has some funds that he has access to. And he posted an update, and he said, we paid all of Blessing's children's tuition for for the rest of their time. And I'm telling you, Blessing is one of your sisters you'll see in heaven. I'm pretty sure when she prayed this prayer, she had no idea that a 34-year-old photographer from New York City who may or may not be a Christian would be helping her. So when I say this, I just say to you, don't even worry about how, like, I think sometimes we pray because we think, I need to figure out the solution. God, I need help with this, and here's what I think you ought to do. Just pray the prayer. Just ask him for what you need. Let him figure it out. He knows things that we don't even know. Like, we know that there's a guy from New York going to be in your neighborhood that week. So, pray for what you need. Write this down. Pray for your circle. Here's what I mean by that. Pray for your friends. Pray for your family. Pray for coworkers. Pray for God's protection and blessing for them. If you don't have friends, pray for that. Like, I need friends. I need a circle. I don't like my family. Pray for them. You're getting ready to see a bunch of them maybe at Christmas time. Pray for that. Here's something else pray for your leaders. You can talk about the leaders here at Connection. I hope you pray for us. We need it. Let's pray for Mayor Zucker and everybody else who leads here in Darden Prairie and in our communities. I know you might say, well, I didn't vote for whoever's in office. Who cares? God says we're supposed to pray for them. Pray that they have wisdom, that they make good decisions, that they represent us well, that they uh, do good things. Pray for them. Uh, Pray for open doors. Write that down, and then I'll tell you what I mean by that. Pray for open doors to share your faith. There's a verse in Colossians that... uh, I'll just read it here for you. Colossians chapter four, verses two and three. And this is the Apostle Paul. He was a church planter and a Christian leader. And uh, he was writing to some people that he'd never actually met before, but he knows that they're Christians now. And so he's asking them, guys, will you pray for me? Because I'm an apostle, I'm out there planting churches and not everybody's happy that I'm talking about Jesus. So he says this down in chapter four, verses two and three. And I'll read this actually at the NIV version. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message about Jesus so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. So that's where I get that language of praying for an open door. Just praying for an opportunity that you can tell maybe a family member, or a friend about Jesus and what he's done in your life. And I would encourage you here. This is one of the places where we maybe tend to give up. Have you been praying for a family member who's not a Christian? And you're like, it just doesn't seem like it's doing anything. Uh, I know some of you have. Don't give up. You have no idea what God's doing in their world that it may be it may be years. And I can tell you stories of people who it took decades but they finally came to the Lord. You just need to keep praying for that. Pray because you never know when that opportunity is going to happen. Christmas is one of those times for a lot of people where the door does open. And in our culture, it's even bigger than Easter. Even people who have no thought of God at Christmas time will start thinking about him. So maybe you need to start thinking about grabbing some of those little square cards that we have in the tables out here and giving them. They've got our service times for Christmas on them. Because people are thinking about it. Just They're thinking about God and they're thinking about trees and everything. Just invite them to come to church with you. And uh, I don't know if you remember this. If you were here back in the We Church, Not Me Church series, I asked you to give me five. And some of you, this is ringing a bell. Pray for five people that you'll be able to share your faith with. And then also about, give me five minutes before and after service that you'll talk to people that you don't know. This is one of those times where your prayers could be answered. You know, here's something I want you to do with this because I need to wrap this up. We need to be praying. I don't know if you know this or not, but our church has a prayer list. And many of you are on the prayer team. The prayer requests that come in through our Connect card or when you call in the office and say, hey, can you pray about this? We put that on that prayer list and it goes out. Some of you need to be on that, and I mean that you need to be on the team. You need to get the email every Monday that has the prayer request on because you need to be praying for the people in our church. So if you're not currently on the prayer team, this is my invitation to you. I would love to have 100% of our Connection Christians getting that list, praying for each other. How you do that, just write it on your Connect card, your email address, and say, sign me up for the prayer team. Give it to me, or you know, just drop it on one of those tables out there. But here's the other side of that. I get the prayer list, And then I also know that there's needs that I hear about. They're not on that prayer list. And I'm only too happy to pray for the needs that you tell me about. But I think you ought to be humble enough because percentage-wise, it is predominantly women, for whatever reason, who request help for prayer and are willing to share that with our church family. Guys, let's be humble enough to say I sometimes need God's help and I need my church family to rally around me. I would like to see that number more proportional. Guys who are just willing to say, look, I try to have it together and I try sometimes to project I've got it together even when I don't. But can we just be humble enough to say sometimes I don't and sometimes I do need God's help and acknowledge that? So you take the same Connect card and you write down what you need prayer for. And if it really is private, just mark that private box and it'll just be the elders and the staff that sees that. But let's ask for prayer and let's be praying. All right, true story. Tim Keller talks about the time in England's history where Uh, the Anglo-Saxons were attacking England. They weren't there yet. And the Welsh lived there. And as the kings of the Anglo-Saxons came in, they're preparing for battle, one of the kings went up on a high point, and he was looking down on the Welsh encampment. And he was puzzled by something that evening, so he called over some of his captains. He said, okay, what's going on with that tent? There's no weapons. Everywhere else, all those guys have weapons, no weapons. His captain said, oh, those are the Welsh monks. They pray to God for the success of their army. That Anglo-Saxon king said, okay, tomorrow, attack them first. I think those guys, they're smart. They knew maybe more than we know about the power of prayer. There is really something on the other side of that. I don't know how powerful your thoughts are, but I can guarantee you prayers are powerful. Don't let anything get between you and prayer. Craig Rochelle says this. Sometimes people say all we can do now is pray. We need to remember prayer should never be our last resort. Prayer is never a last line of defense. It's always our first line of offense. God hears our prayers, right?